I'm Nathan Alverson, and I'll be joined today by Pastors Jake Mensel and Tim Bailey. Together, we are Out of Our Minds. I am the captain of the ship, so I need to apologize and take full responsibility for the absolute atrocious audio quality of what you're about to hear. Part of me does want to say the ship that I was captaining in the form of a certain remote podcasting provider proved to be extremely leaky in ways that I did not expect. In any case, I apologize. I think our next episodes will be way higher quality. In terms of the audio, this one's pretty bad, but I thought it had enough good stuff in it that it was worth releasing to the public. So let's give it a listen. But before we do, I want to say that this podcast is brought to you by not just Warhorn Media, but New Geneva Academy which partners with the local church to equip men called to the pastorate and eldership and to help local church leadership implement a faithful vision for church growth. What does that mean? That means we train pastors. We train them through a combination of distance education and on-the-spot mentoring, in-person training. NGA is not one of these high-priced seminaries with a boilerplate approach to the training of the shepherds of men's souls. We are in the business of shaping shepherds who have compassion, who have skill, who have knowledge, who know how to feed their sheep. Good training can be hard to find for that. And so if you or someone you know is interested in going into ministry, that's newgenevaacademy.com. Rigorous and affordable training for shepherds. How do you tell a fake leader? Okay, so my immediate reaction is, I don't like the question because the word fake is open to a huge number of definitions. What do you mean by fake? What do we mean by fake, Jake? How do you tell a poser? What are the signs that somebody is propping themselves up but doesn't have the making of a real leader? I hate to do this to you, Jake, but that's that doesn't even help. I mean, okay, is Donald Trump a real leader? And if you say no, you're an idiot. Yeah, he got no. he got into the White House. <laughs> and yet, if the three of us were asked, we would say, well, it was an embarrassment to our nation that he was in the White House. Now, I don't know. Can you put that out on the podcast? I don't know. <laughs> Part of the difficulty when it comes to somebody like a Donald Trump is the social media, media in general, makes it possible for the ascendancy of sort of these media savvy pseudo heroes who have perfected the art of making the appearance of standing up for you, of standing for what you stand for, of making great sacrifices to stand for for you when in fact they have more to gain personally from their media savvy posturing than they have to lose because they're really good at validating you. You buy into them and you prop them up, you feed the machine, but then there's a hidden cost. And that hidden cost is that all the real sacrifices get passed on to you. And so January 6th is a perfect example of this sort of thing where you have all these people that have bought in to Donald Trump and they're still paying the cost because the sacrifices are passed on. He didn't step 
it hasn't done a thing to step in between them and the and and the buzzsaw that's come for them. And at the moment of January six, I was like, President Trump, tell them to stand down now, now, now. And it wasn't because I didn't vote for Trump. I voted for President Trump. I did it twice. Yeah. But it's leaders say no to their followers. And I think that's the first thing I would say is that if you have a leader who's always synchronous, is always going in the direction of your prejudices, he's not a leader. He just knows how to scratch you where you itch. That's right. Real, real leaders have skin in the game. And so when they make sacrifices, what they're actually doing is taking real harm on themselves for the people that they're leading, right? So that the people they're leading don't take that harm. And, so, and they're taking a direction that their people don't like and don't understand. Yeah, good test. Like I've, I've had this, I don't remember where I got this. I got this from somewhere. So this isn't me and it wasn't really about leadership. But it's something that I I find myself asking a lot because it's a really good test of just sort of like your internal checklist. So the test is, would you rather be the world's best fill in the blank, but have the reputation of the world's worst or the world's worst, but have the reputation for the world's best? <laughs> right. So would you rather be the world's worst leader, but but be known as the world's worst leader? Or would you rather be the world's worst leader and be known as the world's best leader? And that'll tell you, like, if you apply that metric to any number of things, man, that will really put your heart to the fire. Because what are you doing to be seen by men or out of the fear of men? And what are you doing because you fear God? And you, it doesn't matter who sees, who knows, except God. But if you can, like, project that question onto certain leaders, especially the types of leaders that are out there engaging in the culture war, if you can sort of ask who they're in it for, if you took away the reputation of being such a great leader or such a great hero of conservatism or the faith or whatever, would they still fight the fights they're fighting? Would they still make the sacrifices they're making? Or are they in it for the reputation of being great instead of just really leading people and caring for them and bearing the weight that leaders bear? One of the things I'd say is a real leader consistently angers his followers. And this is what I notice about many of the most conservative leaders in the Christian church is nothing they say ever angers their followers. And so if that's the case, why are they leaders? Why does anybody look up to them? If all they're doing is saying what their constituents agree with, they're not a leader because leaders are supposed to have a gift from God of discerning the times, of knowing history, of knowing scripture, of being above the sheep so that they see where the green pasture is and lead the sheep, even if the sheep don't want to go there because they have to cross a creek. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I just get mm -hmm. so disgusted with all these people on social media who have big names and everybody knows them and everybody loves them, but they're completely boring because you can just predict every single thing they'll say. Well, you can't predict how they'll phrase it. That's what they're good at is they're good at turns of phrase and rhetoric that 
makes you feel like you're part of the cognoscenti, that you're as sophisticated as they are. They're cute, but they never discipline their sheep. They're always condemning the people outside of their circle. And I just, I just cannot tell you, it's 68 years old, how tired I am of predictable Christian celebrities who are just always milking their sheep. Everything is about them getting better metrics, them getting more money, them having people move to where they are. It's just so, so disgusting. You look at the Apostle Paul and you look at any leader in Scripture, and can you imagine how angry people were in every single church that receives an epistle from the Apostle Paul? How about you, your idea and syntyche? And that's the most innocuous one in, in Philippi, let alone yeah. Corinth or Galatians, for heaven's sakes. So I would say one of the ways you know a poser in leadership is that his focus is on people outside of his flock. Yeah. And one of the ways you know a real leader is his focus is on people inside the flock. Well, I thought of a way to perhaps refine the question a little bit in a way that I think would be helpful. How do I know who to vote for, for elder? Or how do I know what church to attend based on its pastor? I mean, I have an answer to that question. I don't know that it's a good one, but it's the first one that popped into my head. That answer is, who would I want to look after my family if I were to die? <laughs> who would I trust to be sure my wife and kids were taken care of? Who, who would I be okay with if you know one of my kids had to go live in their home? It, that's a really clarifying, I think, way to think about it, because what you're talking about is you want fathers in the household of faith. So who do you trust the people most dear to you, too? Jake, that's so helpful, because it personalizes what we would tend to try to treat as a, well, it says the husband of one wife. Are you the husband of one wife? It says he's not pugnacious. Are you pugnacious? In other words, once again... We want to reduce questions of judgment to a set of rules. Mm. And I'm not saying that the set of rules that the Apostle Paul gives us about who should and shouldn't be an elder are wrong. But I'm saying that we'll tend to focus on the things that are a, we're able to objectify by saying, one wife, it says one wife. And I have, how many times we have a discussion of who's greedy in the elders' board? <laughs> And so we have to use the gifts God's given us of discerning and of looking at the character of men. And you, what you did was you brought it right home to something that we feel more viscerally than who should be an elder, and that is who would we trust to adopt our children and take them in if we died, yeah. if we and our, our wife died. And that, so that's very, very helpful. I think another thing I would like to say is, even though we believe that the sheep should confirm the choice of elders and pastors, that they should call them, okay? And, you know, there's a section on that in the books talking about Augustine and how he required the approval of the congregation for his successor. And we did that at Trinity. That should not happen in a vacuum. Augustine said, this is the man I present you. 
And there should be a fundamental trust on our part for who the elders present to us as candidates. In other words, there should be a presumption that the elders are going to have thought this through carefully. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a contrary view. I mean, we might know that the man committed adultery and the elders don't know it. I mean, that'd be a horrible situation. But it's conceivable. And so I don't want us to think that every one of us is alone in a voting booth and that we need to make a decision that is independent of any influence. But on the other hand, if we're in a church where consistently the elders are awful and the pastors are awful and we haven't left the church, <laughs> then we shouldn't just take the recommendations of the elders either. That's not submission. That's just cowardice. Mm-hmm. And so it really is a complicated decision. Nathan, what I wanted when you first asked the question is for you to change it to say, how do we know when we're dealing with a wolf in a shepherd's clothing? How do we know when we're dealing with a hireling? Now, that's biblical ecclesiastical language, okay? Because I don't know what president I've ever voted for that isn't a hireling. Right. (laughs) And that's the point Jake made earlier, talking about the fact that they're not going to sacrifice anything for the population. But when it comes to the church, it's fundamental to integrity as a leader that you will give up your life for your sheep. And that's what Jesus says in John. He says the good shepherd gives up his life for the sheep. You know, everybody's going to want to go all redemptive historical on that and say, and Jesus was a good shepherd. He went to the cross. But Jesus is also talking about the church and the care that she receives from those he puts over her as their shepherds. Mm -hmm. And we have to watch a man And it has to be a man because it's not right for women to exercise authority over men. The elder has to be a man. The pastor has to be a man. We have to watch that man and see if we can conceive of him doing something that hurts himself in order to protect us. Yeah. And I would say, (laughs) if I can put a finer point on it, we have to look at him and see if we conceive of him allowing himself to have a worse image on social media because he's protecting us and our children and our wives. Mm -hmm. And if we can't conceive that about the man, he's a poser, just like Jake said. He may wear a ball cap, but he doesn't know how to hit a ball. Yeah. So if I I can ask the annoying question, then how do you tell whether a man... Is that way or not? <laughs> okay, I, okay, Jake, you ready for this? Yep. It's real. It's real simple. Does he make you angry when he preaches to you? And not angry because he's a poser and wears a ball cap in the pul- pulpit. Not angry because he's vain. Not angry because of how he does his hair. Angry because he takes the part of scripture that you don't like and he doubles down on it. No, I don't know. I'm afraid some people will hear that and think, all right, I got to find the most ill-tempered, pugnacious, vindictive culture warrior, belligerator, 
as Tim's word. Okay, is. okay, okay. Then my response to that is, and as he makes you angry, can you tell that it really pains him and he wishes he didn't have to do it? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. There are two types on, of angry. There are two types of angry that you can be, and if it's the angry that he's cornered your conscience, that's what you want. If it's angry that he has put his finger on the point of resistance to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God, to actually growing and changing, to actually repenting, that's what you want. And there are all kinds of belligerators, as we like to call them out there, that are, are happy to rail at other people's sins or at the sins of Washington, D.C. or at the sins of everybody out there but you, and they're just posers validating you. And they've learned how to scratch itching ears in a very sophisticated way. And so you feel really great because they're saying the things that all those other people need to hear. And it's still that. It's still that. And it's still not directed at you. It's still not directed at your heart. It's still not directed at your conscience. And there are all kinds of people who are good at complaining and being critical who think that that buys them some kind of leadership because they have the slightest bit of discernment. That's not leadership. Leadership begins with love. And love drives a man to be discerning. But just being on the sidelines, Monday morning quarterback critic who can stand on the side and point out the flaws that you see in everybody and everyone else around you, that's not real leadership. And it doesn't work. And no real man will ever line up to follow someone like that. A weak person might. A weak person who is willing to be pushed around and bullied and gets off on that sort of thing might, but not a real leader. A real leader is looking for somebody who's going to improve him. A real man is looking for somebody who's going to improve him, who's going to help him, who's been through the ringer of being broken down so that he can be built back up and knows the beauty of that sort of thing. And so real leaders lead, and they lead real men. And they're not the kind of sort of what Bonhoeffer calls a visionary dreamer who's got an idea or the kind of guy who thinks, well, because I can imagine things being done better, that qualifies me. Or because I can see problems and point them out articulately, that qualifies me. And so I'm going to put myself forward for some kind of that. None of that is what makes an actual leader. Real leaders lead. And they lead with the kind of love that is willing to lay down their lives and say hard things and be bitten both by wolves and by the sheep because they have a place that they're going. They have a place that they're taking people and they're willing to do the hard work to help them get there. And you know why I think you see that so clearly, Jake, is that you love sports. And it is the theme. What you just said is the theme of every good sports movie. Yeah, that's true. Real men, and generally, even Beckham. <laughs> generally, sports guys, they can be vain, but they're men. They know without pain there's no gain. And they respect coaches that punch them. I don't mean physically. But coaches that demand more. Yeah. And I was talking to a guy yesterday who's a pastor here, and 
he's really tall and he plays volleyball. And I was trying to explain to him that what's at stake here in the church in Germany is whether they're going to run their churches through women or through men. That's the issue. And I was talking to this guy, he's an athlete, and I was talking about how so often our friends are men that we've had a fight with. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's, it may not be physical, but that we have had a real conflict with. And you take your measure of the man, and from that point on, you trust him. Yeah. And I think the same thing is true of elders and pastors in the church. You don't want a leader that you think you can't fight with or argue with or disagree with. You want a leader that you think you can go head-to-head with him, and he won't write you off, and you won't write him off. That That's another thing that I think... We're so insecure today. We're so wanting validation. We're so used to flattery on social media that we don't understand how men work with each other. And and that's the thing. There's a a feminine kind of faux leader who has to, in order to to discipline anybody, has to screw up his courage and dehumanize the person that he's going to go discipline, right? And turn him into a caricature. And then never let him out of the box that he put him in. And that's because he's weak and he's cowardly. And what you want is somebody that can come and punch you in the face and then pick you back up and put you on your feet and go out and get a beer. And you can trust that he will see and judge your response to the punch in the face. And he'll see the growth and he'll allow you to mature. This is the way that men work. That punch was not to destroy a loser, that punch was meant to build up a man. That's right. Exactly right. And that's why the coaches love the players that come back for more players that want to win. Love the coaches that are willing to say the things that no pandering coach will ever say to them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, I hate that the language of love has been so co-opted by actual losers that we can't use it without sounding name. But what I, if, if you really put a gun to my head and said, what are you looking for in a, in a leader? It's somebody who loves me. And somebody who loves you and not just himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I said to this guy yesterday, I said, look, he's real young and he's in a church. And I said, listen, the future of his denomination, I'm not going to name it. I said, the future of it is based upon you making it able for the older people to feel that the younger generation is trustworthy and for the younger generation to trust the older generation and not kiss them off. That's mm-hmm. the future of the domination. And in order for that to happen, what you have to do is discipline the young men. And if you don't discipline them, they're going to go rogue. They're just going to submit to German culture. Mm-hmm. And it may be Christian German culture, but it's still liberal. It's still feminist. It's just vacuous. It's awful. But if you will call them to obey God at the points where the culture hates what God says, here's the weird thing. They will love you and trust you. In other words, yes, they'll obey God. But And I don't want to say this, but it's almost like something more important happens, which is their heart is bonded to a shepherd who is faithful. Mm -hmm. And pastors just can't get this into their head. 
they think that if they rebuke and admonish and correct the men of the church, that the men will hate them. And it is true. A lot of the men will hate them. The problem is that they won't win any of the men to be the shepherds of the church. Yeah. And those men, when they discipline them, will love them forever. Yeah. Thanks for listening today. And sorry again about that audio quality. This podcast is brought to you by Warhorn Media and New Geneva Academy, which provides a return to the old paths when pastors trained pastors in the local church. Don't hesitate. Go to newgenevaacademy.com today. Making the next generation of shepherds for Christ's bride.